Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 9 of Education Suspended. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica Pfeiffer. Hope you all are doing well. First and foremost, before we jump into today's episode, just want to say uh, belated Happy Mother's Day to all the moms listening. I hope you had a great Sunday, and we are grateful for all you do for us. Um, anyway, all right, episode number nine. It's fantastic, and I think it has to be fantastic because nine is my favorite number. Um, but we interview my dear childhood friend, Bobby Jean Smith, who is a dancer um, and who lives out dancing and all that she does uh, day in and day out. And she even says in this episode, you know, I'll be dancing until the day I die. So we really jump into just this overarching reality that we have to do a better job in education of reconnecting the, the brain uh, and the mind to the body. That there's just no, no other way to go about it if we really want to get back to learning. Um, Bobby shares some really cool ideas, as does Steve, um, actually, in this episode. So uh, I know you're going to like it. Thanks for joining us. Sit back and enjoy, y'all. Here is episode number nine of Education Suspended with Bobby Jean Smith. All right. So, Bobby, um, you know, when we think about our educational systems, one thing that is really kind of on the forefront of all of our minds is just a system that surrounds students that often does not provide regulatory options like we think are necessary. And when we think about education, we know that, you know, a student that is regulated is a student that can learn. And so when I, you know, when I say regulatory options in the context of movement, right? So for you as a dancer um, and kind of a professor of dancing and all that stuff that you do, I think what draws me to you and why we wanted to have you on this podcast is that your your life is surrounded in movement. Um, and so when we look at regulatory options for us, we know that one of the best ways to regulate ourselves as humans is through what we call somatosensory regulation. So somato being the body and, mm -hmm. and the senses, right? The seven senses. And so when you think about dance in particular, and I think one thing that I'd love to dive into later is from like a cultural perspective, there's actually a lot of cultures out there that have movement and dance in, in uh, significant rituals, whether it be birthing, death, marriage, um, large anniversaries. Um, and so we know that, that that bottom up, right? That somatosensory approach involving the body in regulatory um, activities and, and by regulatory, again, calming the body down, getting us back to our, our baseline, essentially. Mm -hmm. That that's, that's the most powerful way yeah. from a neurobiological perspective. I don't know, Grainer, if you want to add anything to that. Um, but that's, I think. And so when you say kind of regulatory, could, could I hear almost like essential? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Essential. Um, because, you know, that the organ, right? Our, our brain yeah. is, is responsible for keeping us at a level of equilibrium. Mm -hmm. And there are all different options. So we do it through relationships. Um, we do it pharma, uh, through pharmacological uh, regulation. So substances prescribed or non-prescribed. Uh, Self-regulation is another big one. But mm -hmm. that fourth and, and, and very large one is that is the body-based somatosensory. And it's interesting because, you know, you and I are both new moms. Um, but you see some of this even in the, in the cell-soothing patterns of infants, 
completely that they without even thinking twice begin to bring the senses into how they regulate right so that first one um can be kind of that suck egg swallow right like sucking on your thumb it's a very self-soothing mm-hmm. type of calm down strategy and it's not like you know you and i from the other room are yelling to our little girls of like hey i gotta finish the dishes i'll be right there why don't you why don't you try putting your thumb in your mouth i think i've heard it works right like no they just do it innately yeah, yeah. um so i don't know that's kind of a long-winded piece about you know our our desire to have you share with us today because you're i mean really Im- immersed in movement so I don't know. Does that make my, sense? My, yeah, my short-winded, completely. my short-winded version would be Laura Dern saying, "I didn't know you could dance this shit out." <laughs> completely. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was—it's funny as I was preparing for the podcast as well, Bobby. I was just reflecting on, you know, our relationship, and you know, when Quinn was born, and I, I don't want to be too transparent on the podcast, but it was not an easy birth, right? It was mm-hmm. a high, highly traumatic. And I, I'll probably start crying, but I remember, like you just said, I'm gonna dance for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Completely. <laughs> and I danced for her. Yeah. So now we're all crying. <laughs> yeah. Um, but any other questions on that regulatory piece before we kind of jump into the life? No, that makes that makes. Uh, yeah. I understand it more now. Cool. So <laughs> Thank let's, you. I mean, we've been talking for a little bit, but let's, let's just pivot for a second. Um, what, just say hello to our listeners, kind of who you are, what you do. And we always have our guest, if you wouldn't mind, talk a little bit about your own upbringing in our educational system and how, if any way that impacted you. Mm-hmm. So the stage is all yours. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my name is Bobby Jean Smith and I grew up in Iowa and I am a dancer and I have been dancing since I was born and I will continue dancing until I die. And I have been very lucky to encounter a lot of people through my dancing and through following what I love to do. I started off as a gymnast from there. I left home, I left Iowa and I went to the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School when I was 12 years old. and. I, from there, I studied classical ballet. I then went to high school at North Carolina School of the Arts and switched to contemporary dance, which felt like I had found home. From there, I went to the Juilliard School for college. And I then moved to Tel Aviv, Israel and spent 10 years there studying under and dancing for the incredible artist Ohad Naharin, which developed a movement language called Gaga which helps people listen to their bodies better and helps them in so many ways that we can talk about later. Um, I now live in New York and I am a mother, a dancing mom, (laughs) and I teach at the Juilliard School and uh, different universities and programs around the country. I love it. I guess we probably should have said this, right? Like kind of our history together. So we grew yes, up together. Please. We grew up together in Ames, Iowa. Um, and I mean, I just remember the first, I mean, first, well, as I didn't go to kindergarten at St. Cecilius, but first through sixth grade mm-hmm. um, until actually you kind of moved in, into in seventh school. grade. Yeah, yeah. When you moved up to Canada. Um, 
I mean, inseparable to the point that, you know, yeah, you just said this, but Jim, you were, I don't know if you said that, but gym gymnastics was really first for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And we always joke now, but I just remember like sitting on your feet (laughs) regularly during recess because you had to do, you you were so disciplined, even at an early age, you had to do a hundred sit-ups before you, which eventually became we, mm-hmm. go outside. And I just wanted to go outside and play football with the boys. And I knew you'd be with me, even though you might have hated football with the boys. I'm like, but I played with you. Yeah, if I help her with the sit-ups now, she'll go play football with me and the boys. And we did that for years. And for years. Best memories. So, yeah, I wanted to make sure that we had that history. Um, so if it's okay with you, you know, you just talked a little bit about this kind of that gaga dancing, um, but you, you kind of defined it as a way to help the body listen better, like a tune better. Could you kind of go into that a little bit more about kind of dance and movement? Yeah. So um, gaga is a, we call it like, uh, Ohad calls it a movement language, which is, and not a technique because a technique is somehow kind of like connected to a style or has a has has a goal or an endpoint and gaga is there to kind of give you keys you didn't know you lost and it helps you connect to your passion and the pleasure and joy you can get from your body um in in simple terms it it like lets you dance it out and have a workout and enjoy the workout and um, kind of, you know, like when kind of connects you to that feeling of when you're alone in your room and you are dancing, but this is something we do with a big group of people in a room together without any mirrors. Yeah. Oh, so I just wrote that down. It gives you keys that you didn't know you lost. Yes. When, when you are working with others, whether you're teaching or just dancing, are you hearing stories and how, you know, people, I want to say lost their keys, but do you have kind of some of this revelation and people connecting back to their body and like what completely, I mean, I know for myself, that's what I felt immediately. Um, And I think you can kind of agree, Jess, like I always thought I was the girl who loved to dance and didn't lose it. And um, was deeply connected to why I dance. And actually after experiencing Gaga, I realized that a lot of times I was dancing from a place of ambition, one, to get something out of it. And I had lost kind of my ability to take myself lightly and to laugh at myself and to find the curiosity and this like, um, the, the pure joy of what I do without it needing to benefit me. And actually, you know, like if I could actually connect to that joy, I could go much further with my dancing than I, that, you know, I didn't even know I could. Because, you know, so often in our, like in my training, I had been taught to work hard, do these things, work hard, take it seriously. You can't have fun and work hard. And all of a sudden I got to Israel and I started to do Gaga and it's like, oh no, actually, having fun while working hard. There's two different things. They're not connected. Just because you're serious about your work doesn't mean you're doing good work. Yeah. You can have fun and be silly and lighthearted and also work hard. Yeah. 
and have amazing results. So, I mean, as a student, it sounds like that, that those were even separated for you. And like you said, in your training completely. Yeah. And I think to some degree, I mean, kind of the premise of this podcast, I think it's probably separated for a lot of students. Yeah. As well. I mean, I think also as a, like as a society, we're often, we often think that if, if it's not serious, that it's not important. Oh, I'd like to, I don't know. I'm going to, I have to bring up something that I I just found so fascinating and enlightening about sort of the, I on my notes, I put pain slash pleasure, find pleasure with what weighs you down. Um, So that is a incredibly important concept, I think, but I I don't want to try to sit here and explain what I think it means. I would love, I would love to have you elaborate on that. And uh, you know, it's just something I noticed in, listen in watching the documentary um that that i found really compelling right away so if you don't mind yeah i mean um so how how would i say it i remember there was like you know there's those amazing aha moments that we all have where something clicks and in gaga we talk a lot about finding pleasure in movement connect to your pleasure and find pleasure in the effort and how can you be in a really, and we do that naturally as humans. How can we be in a tough situation and do it for five more seconds? Finding the pleasure, finding how to, how to deal with being uncomfortable. Um, And I remember kind of thinking like, oh, all this talk of pleasure, I really feel a lot of pain. Like I feel pain in my body. I feel places that I feel my lower back. I feel places that I'm weak. I feel places in my habits. And I was like, that's weird. Like, why do I feel more pain as I'm trying to connect to more pleasure? And then I remember I was like, aha, Bobby, it doesn't go in one direction. Sensation is sensation. The whole goal is to feel more. So as like the threshold for pleasure or joy and all of those things of like, it feels good to stretch and yawn, all of those, also the threshold for pain will become more because you feel more and it can't just go in one direction. The whole point is to like, be able to open your arms wider to the world. You know, if one arm is pain, one arm is pleasure, you want to extend, 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 instead of just go in one direction. And so that started to make I started to think about that a lot. I try to share that with a lot of the students I meet also, because it can be confusing, you know? Well, I, I think there's a couple things sticking out for me of like, so far you've already used, you've used the word curiosity, right? And you've used, you used the word pleasure. And in education, when we step back and we think about what are, what are some of the key ingredients that actually keep students going within that cycle of learning, right? gives them the capacity to intake new information. We know that the first key ingredient is curiosity. Completely. That, that we have to create a space in which they show up and they are able to be curious. And, and allowed. And allowed, absolutely. And that when you kind of get halfway on the other side of that cycle, the other major ingredient is pleasure. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now we, we usually frame that in the context of, of relationships, right? We know that that intrinsic sense of curiosity and pleasure co- tends to be built from really healthy, solid relationships in early childhood. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting to start pivoting a little bit and thinking about beyond that, right? Again, that, that if, you're, if you're regulated within your body, that also helps build that foundation of safety so you can be curious and you can not just comprehend the pleasure from like, oh, I'm trying to think of an example of, you know, maybe in soccer when I was growing up, like if I won a game, I knew my mom was going to be proud of me. Like there was just so many pleasurable relational responses, but I also felt that joy internally. Mm -hmm. And so I think the two go hand in hand, which I've never really kind of paused to think about before. Yeah. I mean, I also think about like, I I talk a lot about that with with dancers that I come in contact with is like, how do we spark our curiosity? How do we constantly question? Like, and it's, it's okay to not know. It's actually amazing to not know. You being like, and, and separating not knowing with being indecisive. They're two different things. You cannot know and keep going and moving forwards and asking more questions and, and encouraging ask, ask all the questions because curiosity means you're going to find something new. And yeah. And I, and I find that sometimes that's difficult for students because they, they think that not knowing means they're not smart, that not knowing means they haven't, that they don't understand something. Yeah. Or that it's not going to be okay. Exactly. That something's wrong. Yeah. And it's interesting because we are, I mean, just let's, if we just take a step back and think about the sense, I mean, we're recording right now in March. I don't know when we're going to release this, but like we have been in COVID-19 for a year. And one of the, the fear drivers of this whole thing in education has been the not knowing, right? Mm-hmm. And I have seen so many educational systems who miss the boat of being able just to stop and like, let's be curious in this. Mm-hmm. Let's be curious and see where we can go to, in, to new fronts that we've never gone before, but we haven't allowed ourselves to be there and everything's been fear-driven, right? And yeah. so you, at the detriment to students, right? Like, so yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. And that fear, I mean, we feel how it, it holds in our body also Yeah, and how it creates blockages and how weird pathways and habits and, you know, and flow is what creates creativity yeah. and open minds and um, new information and new habits, healthy habits. Greener. I want to. Well, I, I'd love now. I was. I'm gonna. I already forgot what I was gonna say, but um, I want to. Bobby got me thinking about the word flow, and it's been talked a lot about in our work. Um, and kind of flow from the bottom of the brain to the top and the top down. So, um, and we, we think of how important that is in sport, um, in, a, in the sport work that we do, flow has become a really important, and, and as a classroom teacher, I knew when I had an activity that had flow, it regulated, it stimulated, it created curiosity, it did it all. But I would like to hear from you, your version of that. What, what, do you, what does flow mean to you? Um, flow, I think about it like water, flowing water. 
and that sensation and um, flow of movement and flow of information, the, like it, it's moving through me constantly. And sometimes I think we often, and maybe I'm, I'm not qualified to say this, but sometimes I think we think of like flow can happen like up here and flow can happen from the neck down or sorry for our listeners from the neck up for the neck down. Um, but it's actually all one thing. Like the head is just yeah. as an important body part as the hand. It is all together. The body is just as important as the mind and the mind is just as important as the body. It's the same thing. The mind doesn't exist without the body. The body doesn't exist without the head. Like, (laughs) and so kind of finding that kind of um, availability and openness and uh, yeah, flow is open hands, open, open body, open mind. Well, and, and the, yeah, and I love it because <laughs> I don't want to go on too many tangents because I want to give you this this space, but I it, again, there's just so many things connecting, right? But you just said they're not two separate entities and both both are needed to be successful. Um, but there's just something about where I think we've just kind of dropped the ball in education, right? Mm-hmm. And even if you reflect I mean, I think for us, if I remember kind of growing up, I mean, we had access to physical education regularly. We had access to, 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 to band and music, choir regularly in school. It was part of the school day um, to art. And if I look at schools now, they're lucky if they get physical education once a week. They're wow. lucky. And, you know, and recess, I mean, recess is another example. I think you and I probably had recess at least two to three times a day for for 20 minutes. I mean, we spent a large chunk of our time outside and that's no longer the case. And so we have really, I think, begun to really kind of be disrespectful to the brain and the body by saying you are two different things. Only one is necessary in learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just not the case. No. Not the case. Um, I'm old enough to say that I danced in school. That's amazing. I don't know how much that happens anymore, but uh, I mean, I, I we did social dance even in <gasps> high school. That's amazing. It was amazing. It, and it, it's, it should be back in the curriculum now. Absolutely. And, and I don't know what you find out there or if dance is finding its way into school curriculum again or not. I, I'm curious. Um, yeah, I mean, vantage point. I don't know, but I do feel that um, I have in a beautiful way seen um, how people have been gravitating towards Gaga and to online movement stuff during the pandemic. It's been pretty amazing to see how many people, I mean, adults have like kind of had a some sort of awakening in a way of like, wow, I can't be on my computer screen anymore. I will be on it, but I'll be dancing. <laughs> um, you know, of how, yeah. Are there elements of, of Gaga, right? So just thinking that we, this is an educational podcast with the focus for you as a teacher that you mm-hmm. think are, 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 not that you had to prioritize, that you just are so vitally important. And then, and then things for you that you could see general ed teachers embedding some elements into the work that they do. 
Yeah, I mean, um, some things I think about are this idea of right or wrong and teaching or giving tools to students to become their own teachers. That kind of responsibility on one's own imagination because imagination is just as powerful as knowledge. <laughs> Who knows what that was? Um, <laughs> baby toys, baby toys. They just come alive sometimes. Imagination. Yeah. Um, I have found with the dancers that I meet is um, one acknowledging that I have just as much to learn from them as they have to learn from me and that we are in a joint relationship. Um, I am guiding the ship and I am taking responsibility of where that want, ship wants to go, but it is, it is a conversation and trying to, trying to give keys to, to the dancers that um, help them become teachers for themselves. I am, I am not, as important as the lessons that they will kind of understand themselves. And um, I feel like sometimes I have felt that maybe we hold teachers as like the all knowing or teachers like to have that kind of like, I am the teacher, I know I will teach you what you don't know. And I feel that kind of that, that we don't need that kind of relationship anymore. And I feel like it, 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 create it creates learning out of fear and I'm not interested in learning out of or having anyone learn from fear or a power or an unhealthy power dynamic and I think creating this kind of equal ground for us to be playful to be able to laugh at ourselves to make mistakes and to invite this constant um, research of creativity and um, generosity in, in the discovery. Um, I try to, I try to kind of break the rules of it, of what we think is right or wrong, because I feel like, you know, as we grow up, we realize like, it's not so simple as that. And for instance, with dance, you're taught that if you, if your feet point a lot, that's good. You're going to have a dance career. And that's not the truth. Your feet can be interesting. They can be rich. They can be crazy. They can be strong. They can be fat. They can be skinny. They can be so many things besides good or bad. And trying to kind of like take off those labels and to help us. Wow. Sorry. I'm going on a tangent, but um, oh no, it's good. Go. trying to understand how you talk to yourself. How does someone talk to themselves? What are the thoughts you hear in your head? When you do, when you get a, when you get a C on a paper, do you say, oh, I did a horrible job? Or do you say, wow, I can do better. Mm-hmm. Or I wonder why I did that. Or ask more questions. How can I ask more questions besides this was this, was this and it's, it's all or nothing. Or, you know, it has, there's walls around everything. Trying to kind of move the walls aside a bit. Yeah to ask more questions, to go deeper into, yeah, yeah. everything. <laughs> I mean, I, I like it because I think, you know, even if we, if we step back and think about kind of the, just the system as a whole, 
I mean, we have some kids that come into school that they're already labeled as bad, mm-hmm. right? Like in kindergarten before they even step Completely. into first grade, like, oh, you got this kid on your roster and kind of the, the trajectory. And I was just thinking of like, oh, your, your foot doesn't point. Uh, you're not going to be a dancer. It's like, we see this. And, and I think one thing that we're becoming more aware of is like, there are specific groups of students who this impacts, right? Our students of color, uh, students of low socioeconomic status. Oh, you don't have pointed feet. You're not going to be a good student. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very powerful. Yeah. And it's not true. Yeah. Like I wish, I wish, and I think something the pandemic has taught is like, we can't teach everyone the same because they're not the same. Everyone is different in an amazing, beautiful way. So we need to teach people where they are. We need to meet them with who they are and what they want to give the world. And if everyone can give the world the same thing, how boring. Like, yeah. and that's where the arts and the culture and everything starts to, that's when it becomes more rich when everyone offers something else. Like I offer an apple, someone offers a pear, someone offers a clementine, someone offers a pomegranate. Like everyone has something else to offer. And so the educa- I feel like the education system has to be like large enough to contain all of those things everyone needs to, everyone can offer. You know, now I want a fruit yeah. salad, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I'm hungry now. I'm hungry no, for a fruit salad. <laughs> I, I, I gotta. I'm not really shifting this so much, but I want to get back to Bobby on a question I'm kind of dying to ask her because when I read about you and then watched the documentary, I said she's really become a both and person. But we all probably start as a more binary person, either or, this or that, right or wrong, you know, pointed. Th- toes or not pointed toes, skinny, you know, you know, you get it, but you really had uh, shifted. I don't know. I don't know how big of a shift. Maybe that was always kind of who you were a, a more open and, and all encompassing both and kind of person. But w- what I found, you know, super interesting about your life is at, at some point you kind of took on the danger of I'm, you know, you could have been really comfortable in Israel, um, just continuing to do what you did, but you uh, took a chance. You took a mm-hmm. risk. And we're, same thing we're asking teachers to do right now. We're saying, take a risk, expand, open your arms in a bigger way. And I would love to know kind of how, how that worked. I mean, what, uh, how did you evolve to get to that place where, where you said, eventually I got to find my own voice, mm-hmm. which I think is finding our danger is finding yeah. out who we are authentically and then be express it. And so I'm just really interested in your comment on how that happened for you when you, you made a big decision that was scary and hard. Yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, I guess I've always been taking chances, right, Jess? Absolutely. And um, I, I, I do feel like dancing helps that. And I've never really thought of it like this, but I do think that the connection to the body creates a certain strength and a certain um, acknowledgement of one, one's own power as, mm. as someone walking or operating on this earth, that I feel that no matter what happens, 
I, I feel my feet on the ground and I, I'm going to be able to catch myself. And I think that, I think that does come from dancing and investing in, in, in the body and, and the work with the body, mind and everything like that, um, that the, my core is strong. My heart is strong. And that gives me strength to be able to try to fall. Mm-hmm. And if I, and maybe it's like, and maybe through dancing, I've been trying to teach myself how to actually fall without hurting myself as a metaphor in a way, because, you know, as a dancer, you train your whole lives and it's like, can you walk normal on stage? Can you walk like you haven't had training? And can you fall like someone would actually fall without hurting yourself or without making a sound? And in a way that metaphor is like, in a way I think helps me to abandon and to go for something or to jump into the unknown because I know that I will be able to catch myself. Um, Did that help at all? Yeah, <laughs> that- no, no, it's yeah, great. No, Thank you. That's great. And, and, and again, you're, you're going back to this premise of the, the, the brain and the body connected. So I'm wondering what are techniques that you do to connect the brain and the body to get that flow? Like as a, as a teacher, as a human and things that we can start doing in education. Mm-hmm. I think we have to dance every day. I think that it's not something that is a special, special thing for a special occasion. Um, one of my students one time said to me um, something so beautiful. They said, how can you look at anything that is alive and not see movement? And I just sat there on Zoom yeah. like, you're so right. I've been looking for that question. All I've been looking for the answer. Why do we dance? Everyone says, why do we dance? Because dance is movement. If you, you look at everything that's alive, you see movement, you see constant motion and dance is motion. And if we shut that off, I don't know. Uh, one, we can't shut it off because we're alive. We're moving right now. We're shifting our weight. We're nodding our head. We're grabbing a phone. We're doing, you know, so many things. So I think it's like acknowledging that and making room for that even if it's for 15 minutes. Taking away the mirrors, taking away any, anything like that and letting people dance, move. Maybe dance is the wrong word because I feel like dance comes with a lot of labels. Yeah. Well, yeah but with, with dance comes rhythm and with dance comes music and all the, the other ingredients of such a rich experience. So I, I think we can keep talking about dance. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, again, I think it, it, it's, I mean, I like that you said, it acknowledge that dance, like, I, I, I'll be honest, I hear dance, I'm like, if I have the right amount of whiskey, bring <laughs> it on, I will dance anyone under the table, but like, there is something about that word that I don't, I, you know, it's, again, it's the right or wrong, I don't feel confident in that. Mm-hmm. When I hear movement, I I do think of like, oh, I can run up to a soccer field and I will be just fine. I can yeah. run around a playground with my daughter and I'll be just fine. But there is something about that word dance. So maybe um, it's movement. Maybe it's more finding room for movement. Finding yeah. and maybe finding ways to but lighten. I, 
sorry I interrupted you go no no go well I, just, I think it's coming up now I'm, I'm pushing back of like but that's society right mm-hmm. and this year I, I you know um I know Jamie's gonna make fun of me so this is why I'm a little hesitant about saying this I and I, dance was a big part so Steve when you said there used to be dance in school I remember in middle school in Ames high school or Ames middle school that we had part of our physical education was dancing we learned different dance moves and in high school, okay, here we go. I used to love going swing dancing with all my friends. We would go and find these in small town Iowa, these kind of live big band, um, um, I wanna say they were bars, but clearly we weren't because um, younger children could go in and we would just swing dance all night. So at one point in my life, I loved dancing and I'm just wondering like culturally, when that shifted, right? When that confidence went away and I was like, oh no, I can't do that anymore. Um, And I think there's probably a parallel process in education of like, at some point I really loved school. And then I realized maybe I wasn't the best and I no longer felt confident and didn't engage in that. I think that's kind of what's coming up for me. And I Mm -hmm. don't know where to go with that, but that, yeah. Yeah, I I think- Dance is one of those keys that we're missing. I, I have to believe. I agree. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sorry I interrupted, but yeah, Bobby, were you gonna say something? No, I think that um, I do think it's something cultural that this this connection to the body kind of keeps moving further and further away because it's not easy, but it is so simple to unlock so much joy. Like it's, it's crazy to me because you can feel the pushback, pushback, pushback from people. But just, I know that if we were in a room together and we put some music on and we just said, we're going to dance for 15 minutes, we're not going to stop moving. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you look like. We'd both feel so much better. Yeah. And we'd be able to learn faster. And we'd be able to speak more clearly and, and the channels would be open and, and, Every, I would test higher and I would jump higher, you know, like the, the ceiling would just go up. Yeah. And I would most definitely bring out the air guitar that tends to be now my number one dance move. So just want to be transparent on this podcast. No, I think you're right. I think if we make it that safe space that you can be curious with your body, mm-hmm. but it does not shock me that we seem to try to separate the two the older our students get. And then we wonder why when we bring movement back in, they're like, Ooh, I can't do yeah. that. It's the same as physical education. We get kids that show up in physical education class. I was not that I loved physical education. I vividly remember Bobby kids that we went to school with that hated physical education class. They mm-hmm. felt no confidence. We're playing dodgeball. We're running. They did not, they did not feel that sense of um, confidence. Mm-hmm. And that was probably an awful time for them, but like of how, how are we framing that, it, the entire educational trajectory, that this is just a norm, that this is yeah. a wonderful thing? Yeah, and I think that confidence plays a big part in people's availability to, you know, um, you know, be curious. Someone who is not confident cannot be curious. The fear factor is too high. So it's like, how do we give more confidence? How do we strengthen the the engines for each person to have the confidence to try new things and to fail and could we not use the word fail could we um 
try to to call it something else or not have a word for it? Like, could we take off those kind of hats or labels with with learning? Yeah, a system without labels, I think people would would not know what to do. Yeah, because it, it requires more effort. Mm -hmm. It's easy, it's, it takes less effort to label. Mm -hmm. I find that in myself. It takes less effort to say, eh, that was good, I can move on. If I, if I actually move past that and just kind of skip over that part of saying that was good or bad, then I have to keep going. I have to find out more, which is amazing, but maybe I'm tired. Yeah. But I, I, I want to try to, I think, push past that. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Grainer. I can see your wheels turning. Oh, I just, well, when, when I watched, um, Bobby, when I watched you dance um, as a male coach, football guy, you know, the whole thing. But although I did like to, I've always liked, you know. I, I recall being a sophomore actually going to, and going to a dance. I was buttoned up, straight laced, didn't. And, and finally something broke loose in me and I started dancing because we were out of town at a basketball game and no one was going to see me. And I just danced my little fanny off. All amazing. Night long. And I was stuck on dancing for the rest of the time. What I think um, is and, and it was very, you know, I'm sure it wasn't pretty and I didn't really worry about that. It was just go get it. It was movement to music. That's, and I, and I think when I watch you dance, first of all, I, I right away, I see a gymnast. I see powerful gymnastic like moves. I think part of it is just, we think dance is just, a, just for delicate, just for, you know, having the perfect motions and whatever. Dance is just so much more than that. And I think it, you've, you know, very intuitively just helped redefine dance all morning as we're talking, but that's what I see. Maybe, maybe there's just something about um, so, sort of the athleticism and the strength and the, the power of dance that we're missing. I don't know. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? No, I love that. And thank you. <laughs> I'm, and I wish I could have been there when you were dancing your Fanny brains off. out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that goes with like somehow all like us classifying that everything is one thing. It's never just one thing. When do we ever feel one thing? You know, like if we like ask ourselves, like, when do we ever just feel I'm, I'm just so happy. I'm 100% happy. It's always happy. And I also, I'm anticipating, or I also am missing, or I'm doing, you know, and so I think, you know, for me, dance is, is, is all about how many things I can contain at one time. How can I be delicate and strong at the same time? How can I be um, long and fast? How can I be short and slow? How can I be many different contradictions? And the more we can acknowledge that we are full of contradictions and that's what's, that's, that's what makes us interesting as human beings, the more we, colors we can see in, in ourselves and each other. Um, 
Yeah. And so kind of like taking away those like dance is only this. It only can happen in this space. It can only happen with these kind of people. Dance is movement. Movement happens all the time, whether we like it or not. It is happening. It's whether or not we choose to listen to it in ourselves and in the world. Yeah, it's almost like dancing our way into the orchestra, but the whole world is the orchestra, mm -hmm. you know, and if it's really sad if we don't play along. Completely. Um, and that's, anyway, that's one thing I, I really uh, appreciated watching in your dance was the great variety of style. And, and sometimes it was aggressive and sometimes it looked painful. Mm -hmm. and, and at other times it was just flowing and and what we would think as classically beautiful but it's that non-binary thinking that helps us see it all as beautiful that's the hard part mm -hmm. yeah and I, well i think yeah. if we think about like kind of that non that non-binary right that remover removal of uh labels i do think there's fear behind that and, oh. and I, and I want to norm that, right? Of like, for most people that would probably equate to some form of chaos. And the last thing that you want in a classroom is chaos. Completely. Well, as a teacher, that's what you, that's what you're taught, right? But if you are, if we're kind of shifting that lens of what it means to teach and that chaos is part of it, it's part of it. I think innately you'll, you'll be able to feel confidence and a desire hmm. to to maybe innately start moving back towards that that element of movement in education. Um, I love that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I also feel like is you feel that sometimes the avoidance of the chaos mm -hmm. is easy. is also what can create the inner chaos and the inner struggles within a student. Do you feel that yeah. in teaching? I've, I've never thought that way. I, I, I feel that way. And I think, again, this last year has been a really good example. Of we have been working so hard to make a non-chaotic educational system at the, at the detriment of our educators and of mm -hmm. our students. And when chaos was thrown at all of us, no one knew how to respond. Mm -hmm. That sense of creativity had been stifled and... Because you need creativity to get out of the chaos, yeah. to know how to handle, to to adapt, to to be ready to move in every direction. If we yeah. if we take that metaphor more of like what we want our brains to do and our thoughts to do to different situations, and we take it physically, I think it will. There are connections there. There'll be it'll connect. Yeah. Well, I think that we've we've been strategic to some degree in education of trying to take the chaos off because if you remove chaos, you it's very easy to move so through a system that's heavily compliance based. Mm -hmm. and compliance means control, and control means I'm doing I'm going to do a quotes, but no one can see it. It's the easy road. And I think what we're trying to push and and re-evolve ourselves as a system of, of educators is saying enough is enough. We need to move away from the, the lack of chaos, this deep-seated desire for compliance and say, we need to become a system that brings regulation back into it um, 
first and foremost, that this, this, this distinguishing between regulation versus compliance, they're two different things. Mm-hmm. And while regulation might mean more chaos in the beginning, it also means more creativity. It also means more curiosity. It also means um, a better sense of connection to brain and body. Therefore, we will have stronger students, right? We will mm-hmm. have stronger teachers and we will have stronger systems that the next time something like this happens, we can, we can access it as an admin, as a system and be, and be creative. Amazing. I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a lot to think about. Boy, you know, I, I, I love that saying, I, I wish I wrote it up, would have written it down, but where you said um, the way we fight against chaos is actually more chaotic <laughs> than the chaos that we somehow seem to think is there. That was really an important concept to wrap our heads around. I think that enveloping, I mean, accepting and and saying that's that's just a part of it. Yeah. Is that was a really strong statement. I'm I'm gonna think about that one a lot. Amazing. Because we can't, I mean, if we look at at nature, we can't have just one or the other. We have to have the storms with the calm waters like that's we see that it's like if we see that all the time like I just know for myself if I think about like if I push if I try to suppress the chaos in me and I try to avoid it usually it like creeps out in ways that are more detrimental and harmful in ways of like anger or um, sadness, um, feeling closed off, isolating myself. If I, if I suppress it, then it usually results in that and, uh, and how that must feel. I don't know, I, one as a teacher in a room or as a student, if, you know, if there's always one place that you can't go, you always, end up looking in that one direction yeah so true no i think what jessica what you said was super important there's a huge difference between compliance and a regulated child who's learning life skills and and i think dance to me seems to be a great catalyst to maybe get us to the point of not not the difference between brain and body, but the uniting of brain and body is a really important factor. If we're ever gonna to get to this place of opening our both arms as people can't see, you did that earlier in our podcast, but it was a beautiful expression of, we gotta open both of arms on both sides and, and, and wrap ourselves around, around the chaos, but also around, and the order and the balance and the, you know, the dance, that's the dance. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes on inside us. And I, I just love that. I think it's, it's a great takeaway from our talk today is, is to be less binary and to think more about connection. And mm-hmm. that, that's really powerful. Yes, Steve, I've been kind of thinking about this compliance and I don't mean this in a negative connotation. I think it's the nature of our education system of almost being strategic in in making sure that we detach our minds from our body. Because when we're in our body and we're wiggly and we're moving, right? That's that's not okay. That's a negative behavior. And so we teach kids to sit still 
And then <laughs> we're just in our heads, we're daydreaming. And so there's, we're not teaching that, that connection between the two and having that flow and being okay in the movement. And so I, I don't know, I think, yeah, to wrap it up, I, we really need to do a better job at bringing the two together and being okay with that, being okay with what that looks mm -hmm. like. You know, I, I taught a lot of years and I was good at compliance. I could make that happen. Mm -hmm. And people would have, you know, patted me on the back and say, he really has great classroom control. <laughs> then I learned a little bit more about in my later years of teaching that, you know, I can get classroom control another way. And it was through movement. Mm -hmm. And it was through rhythm and it was through music and it was through going outdoors a lot. Um, Amazing. And, and finding that. So I think I can at least confidently say as a teacher, we don't have to just go for the cheap route of compliance. We can go for the more complicated but more beautiful route of, <laughs> of putting our systems to connection, the connection of systems, the body yeah. and the mind. And, and dance, again, is that beautiful metaphor for it. I love that. I love that. Well, and let's let's go back to that. Like, what are what are tangible things that we can be talking to our teachers about right now that they're able to be creative and and help kids get back into dance movement? Are there things that we can suggest, Bobby? Of like, here, just here, are a few things just to try during the day, or and even you know, as an instructor in Juilliard, I think you you might, probably might do activities with the adult students that we could easily be doing with high school students. Oh yeah. Easily. Could you share a few of those? I mean, even, um, I think even, you know, having, maybe even giving an assignment of how can you tell this story with your body? How can you, how can you, um, what, what would, you know, and let's have a one minute break where we all, listen to this song and we bounce to the rhythm something simple like that or um, with some of my students I do this exercise where one person closes their eyes and the other person is making sure they don't I don't know if this would be good you can erase this later but, um, <laughs> closing their eyes and seeing if they start to dance if they start to move um, following their impulses uh, so I need to think more, but it's okay. Yeah. I, 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 one of my favorite things when I'm in the classroom to kind of give them a little break is I do love playing music and it's, it's so probably elementary, but I'm just like, Oh, let's, we're going to do freeze dance, right? Something so completely. Similar. We're going to play a song that these kids love and we're going to move our body and the song stops and everyone freezes and we Perfect. do it again. Right. And it's those types of things that Perfect. It's one of my favorite activities. Yeah. And to be silly about it. It doesn't have to be something heady and mm -hmm. and full of a lot of meaning. It will be full of a lot of meaning. That's the amazing part. Yeah. If you give if you give space for it. Right. And I th I think the other thing that comes up is you know, going back to curiosity and pleasure. What we know is that that cycle of learning in the context specifically of pleasure is that that's ideally a two-way street. So if I reflect on myself, um, I engage students in freeze dance, right, that activity, because I actually really like it. I think it's fun, but I think it's important for our teachers to find a way to embed movement that also feels safe and fun for them. Completely. Because we don't want them to engage in an activity 
um, there was one activity that we used to do with the kids called the brain dance. And it was really this focus on bilateral movement because we know how vitally that important, important that is for getting kids regulated. I never felt comfortable with that because it was very, I had to memorize everything and there was a story along with it. And I would try to do it and I could just sense that it wasn't regulating my kids how I want it to, but, but because I wasn't experiencing joy out of that same activity. So for our teachers of finding things that feel safe, that bring joy and pleasure to them in the context of dance and moving, because that's, the kids are gonna pick up on that. And that's gonna really, I think, enhance that regulatory option. I, yeah. yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, um, it makes me think about something my husband always says. He said, there's nothing more powerful than seeing someone who is comfortable in their body and has confidence. So how how much that can can echo into the students of a, seeing a teacher who, I think that's also work we need to do on ourselves. It's like, how do we become more comfortable in our own skin? Mm-hmm. And that will also, how we use our, our hands to tell a story and how we walk in the space, how we, you know, create this open heart and like that, not that we have to be dancing teachers, but just enjoying our own bodies will also echo so much. So it really makes me think just like how you said, if, it, if you are connecting to it as a teacher, it will echo much faster. Yeah. It'll echo faster. And at the same time, you're, you're given a moment just to regulate yourself. Yeah. Which we all need that during the day. Completely. Um, uh, Bobby. You know, I, I yeah, remember kind of a layered act you know, we always say, how do we get there? You know, how? Do, and one thing I, I learned to do kind of end of my teaching is I, I hung a big sheet in my classroom, put the overhead, just how techno, technological I was, put the overhead projector behind it and then asked the kids to dance as shadows. Amazing. And oh that gosh. took that took so much fear out of it. And my, my daughter later working with uh, autistic adults in Albuquerque did the same thing and and they were very terrified to dance in front of their peers but they were wild behind the sheet and we got (laughs) to watch the uh, behind the sheet I said no I didn't you know thank you yeah thank you yeah yeah okay I just wanted to clarify um but they uh and they would do they would sing karaoke they would dance they would do everything as long as they could do it as a shadow and of course, the, the goal was eventually to come out from being a shadow and, and, and then be yourself. But for any teachers out there, that is, that is the simplest way sometimes to get people moving in a meaningful way, but not so uh, more respecting their intimacy barrier and what might be really hard. Completely. So sh- shadow dancing is beautiful to watch, but actually it's even better to do. Um, I love that. I love it. Or masks. Sure. That's been amazing. Even with dancers who have trained their whole lives, you get, you put like a mask or a, you know, like an animal mask or some character and the things they move in completely different ways. All of a sudden that kind of insecure, those insecurities, it's, it's about creating the safe environment to be able to make a fool of yourself and to laugh and laughing is good. Yeah. <laughs> And, and giving space for that and being as a teacher, being able to kind of maybe take off that hat of I'm, I'm the serious, I'm so serious. 
Exactly. I love those. I love those. Bobby Jean, it's, I can't thank you enough for doing thank this. Thank you for having me. Um, it's amazing. You, the work you're doing, I don't even think, hopefully you recognize, right? Like you are doing beautiful work and there's such an overlap for what you do and helping us change our system and, and connecting, connecting us, making us whole again, is something that we need to strive for. So thank you for, for all thank that you, you do. And thank you for all that you all are doing. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thanks, Bobby. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much.